Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Donald Trump's big lie continues to unravel with remarkable speed. Sidney Powell did more than perhaps anyone to push the bullshit assertion that President Joe Biden's victory over Donald Trump in last November's presidential election was the result of fraud involving Dominion voting system machines. Now, however, lawyers representing Powell in the $1.3 billion defamation suit filed against her have acknowledged that she simply made the whole thing up. Lawyer Sidney Powell has given up the game in a court filing defending Powell from a billion-dollar defamation lawsuit from Dominion Voting Systems. Her lawyer said the claims she made on national TV for months were not at all true and too ridiculous to be defamatory. And that no reasonable person would believe that her false claims and conspiracy theories about the 2020 election were truly statements of fact. In the court filing, Powell's lawyers argue that Dominion's defamation suit should be dropped because her claims were merely constitutionally protected expressions of political opinion rather than declarations of fact. In the wake of Trump's loss to Biden, Powell made an array of outlandish-sounding election theft claims while promising that she would release the Kraken and reveal proof of her conspiracies. So, Sydney, uh, you feel that you will be able to prove this. Do you have the software in your possession? Do you have the hardware in your possession? How will you prove this, Sydney? Well, I've got lots of ways to prove it, Maria, but I'm not going to tell on national TV what all we have. So we invited Sidney Powell on the show. We would have given her the whole hour. We would have given her the entire week, actually, and listened quietly the whole time at rapt attention. That's a big story. But she never sent us any evidence, despite a lot of requests, polite requests, not a page. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her. It will be biblical, she said with typical bluster. During an infamous November 19th news conference, for instance, she asserted that there was a globalist conspiracy to take down Trump, improbably involving the late Venezuelan dictator Hugo Chavez, and asserted that in the middle of the night, after they've supposedly stopped counting, and that's when the Dominion operators went in and injected votes and changed the whole system. It can set and run an algorithm that probably ran all over the country to take a certain percentage of votes from President Trump and flip them to President Biden, which we might never have uncovered had the votes for President Trump not been so overwhelming in so many of these states that it broke the algorithm that had been plugged into the system. Powell also argues that the preposterousness of her allegations should protect her from civil liability for damaging Dominion's reputation. Plaintiffs themselves characterized the statements at issue as wild accusations and outlandish claims, she wrote. Note that they are repeatedly labeled inherently improbable and even impossible. Such characterizations of the allegedly defamatory statements further support defendants' position that reasonable people would not accept such statements as fact, but view them only as claims that await testing by the courts through the adversary process. Sydney, what's in it? It will, it will be biblical. Powell has become a hero among diehard Trump supporters and QAnon conspiracy theorists for her continued agitation against the so-called deep state and supposedly stolen election. However, 
She has been banned by Twitter for sharing QAnon material. Reports detailing the chaos of the post-election White House put Powell at the center of the group of extremists urging Trump to declare martial law and invalidate the election results. Georgia's probably going to be the first state I'm going to blow up and, and Mr. Kemp and the Secretary of State need to go with it because they're in on the Dominion scam with their last minute purchase or award of a contract to Dominion of $100 million. The State Bureau of Investigation for Georgia ought to be looking into the financial benefits received by Mr. Kemp and, and uh, the Secretary of State family about that time and another benefit dominion was created to award is what i would call election insurance that's why hugo chavez had it created in the first place but i also wonder where he got the technology where it actually came from because i think it's hammer and scorecard from the cia but the bigger the lie the more people are prone to believe and while powell's attorneys were quietly acknowledging that a conspiracy theories aren't true Trump was on Fox News pushing the big lie with fucking impunity. Look, we won the election. As far as I'm concerned, we had a great election. We had almost 75 million votes, he said on Tuesday. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. But it was Trump's call to Laura Ingram's show on Thursday, ostensibly to react to Joe Biden's first press conference, that saw the former president clinging hard to the big lie while simultaneously creating a host of new ones. But the real fun began after Ingram asked Trump about the Department of Homeland Security cracking down on domestic violent extremism and whether he was concerned that the DHS is going after people who may be your supporters. And they don't go after those people, but they go after people that I guess you'd call them uh, lean toward the right. And they wave American flags. In many cases, they're waving the American flag and they love our country. And those people, they're arresting them by the dozens, but they don't uh, go after Antifa, who kill people, by the way. There's so much more here that deserves attention, and Trump is either full-on deluded, or 100% insane, or is simply a master gaslighter. I suspect it's somewhere in the middle, but you have to listen to him and ask yourself if you miss having this man in your life every day. Uh, it was a zero threat. Right from the start, it was zero threat. Look, uh, some of them went in and they're they're hugging and kissing the police and the guards. You know, they they had great relationships. Uh, a lot of the people were waved in and then they walked in and they walked out. And I'll tell you what, they're doing things to those. They're persecuting a lot of those people. One result of Trump's big lie has been the race by Republican-held state legislators to enact sweeping voter protection acts that are nothing more than thinly-veiled racist voter suppression tactics aimed at minority voters. We are reporting breaking news right now. Georgia's Republican governor is about to sign what the legislature passed, and it will be one of the nation's most restrictive voting laws in the whole country. Georgia Republicans on Thursday passed a sweeping law to restrict voting access in the state, introducing more rigid voter identification requirements for absentee balloting, limiting drop boxes, and expanding the legislators' power over elections. 
The new measures makes Georgia the first major electoral battleground to overhaul its election system since last year's presidential election. Basically, this is still a Jim Crow bill. All they've done is put a little makeup and cologne on Jim Crow, but it's still Jim Crow. The legislation, which followed Democratic victories that flipped the state at the presidential and Senate levels, comes amid a national movement among Republican-controlled state legislators to mount an aggressive campaign to turn back the clock to the Jim Crow era South when black voters were prevented from going to the polls. As so many people have pointed out, the picture of the seven white men at the bill signing probably tells us everything we need to know about what Republicans in Georgia have just done and why. Seeking to appease a conservative base that remains incensed about the results of the 2020 election, Republicans have already passed a similar law in Iowa and are moving forward with efforts to restrict voting in states including Arizona, Florida, and Texas. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since it's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. And now for the main event. The reverberation of Trump's big lie and his radicalization of millions of voters continues to reverberate from the passage of these voter suppression acts to who the GOP plans to field as candidates for the 2022 midterm elections. It's like the rock that makes a ripple in the water. The effects flow onward and outward, creating all manner of chaos and disruption. I'm lucky today to have on Maya Culpa, the fabulous Molly Jung Fast, to help me sort through the post-Trumpian wreckage as we learn to step cautiously forward into the new day. Molly, for those that don't know her work, is the host of The New Abnormal with The Lincoln Project's Rick Wilson and a political columnist for The Daily Beast. In addition, she's the author of three books, including the classic cult novel Normal Girl. At this most abnormal time, Zhang Fast's particular point of view is desperately needed. Thank God she delivers. And let's listen now to that conversation. In a piece you wrote yesterday for The Daily Beast, you described today's GOP Congress as the helpless caucus, a group of laissez faire nihilists who want your vote so that they can crush the government you'd like them to run. Unpack this for my listeners, if you would, about how this becomes a problem during times when Americans desperately want and need their federal government, say, after, as an example, a mass shooting. Right. Or a pandemic. I mean, what's so interesting I actually was was talking to a friend of mine who's an editor yesterday, and he was saying that he was working on a book about how during Trumpism, there was like a sort of pause and Trump was able to kind of convince a large swath of people that the government was bad, that it had no use. We basically there, there's a part of Repub- the Republican Party, and it, it's really like Rand Paul kind of you know, libertarian group. And that part has sort of taken over in a weird way. So what you saw with Ted Cruz the other day was Ted Cruz saying, you know, Democrats keep trying to legislate. And there is this sort of hostility towards legislation on in the part of the Republican Party. 
And that is really, I would say that's always been there, but it's much, much worse. And sort of the idea with Trump was that you would you would elect him to blow stuff up, right? To run the government like a business, right? That was the sale. And what that meant, a lot of people thought that meant running the government sort of better. But what it really meant, and we've seen this with the USPS, right, with um, Postmaster DeJoy, was blowing up the government and making it not work. And you really saw that there are parts of the government that work incredibly well. And one of those is the post office, right? The post office works incredibly, or at least before DeJoy, it worked incredibly well, right? It was cheap. You knew your mail got there. I mean, there are lots of countries, including Italy, where you mail your package and, you know, 80% chance it gets there and 20% chance it doesn't. But with the American Postal Service, it's really a triumph of government. And so we really had a moment where we had to convince people as Democrats that the government mattered and was was worthwhile. And what happened, which I think is kind of terrifying, is that this pandemic came and you see... And you saw this with Trump a little bit, right? Like Operation Warp Speed started under Trump and they did do some of the stuff, though, again, Pfizer didn't take the money the way they took some money and they were, you know, the government made Warp Speed able to happen, but they didn't take the kind of money that Moderna did. There were different sort of tiers of money taking. You really saw that the government can really do this. And now with America's, you know, the Biden administration has done this phenomenal job with the vaccine rollout. And they've shown us that government matters, right? Because think about Ca- think about Canada. Canada, and Canada politically, you know, I've always wanted to really love Canada. They've done just a terrible job, right? Their vaccines are way slower, true in Mexico, true in the EU. So we really do see that government really matters. And in a time like this, we're so lucky to have, you know, a very, I mean, it happens to be the Biden administration had this experience with Ebola and they put the guy who was the Ebola czar as the, you know, chief of staff. So there was a lot of sort of scaffolding, but I feel very lucky that I'm living in a country where these vaccines are are getting out, getting rolled out in this amazing way. Well, we have a lot to unpack in your answer right there. First of all, you're right. Everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, many people, Republican, Democrat, Independent, have for a long time now been very displeased with the way that government runs, with the way our own local leaders are running things. I mean, I don't think that there's anybody that I know here in New York that will say that Bill de Blasio is doing a good job. He's a complete nightmare as far as I'm concerned. And so what Trump did, what we all did when we were bolstering him, is we talked about, as you rightfully said, Here comes a businessman beholden to no one, allegedly worth $10 billion. I'm rich, people. I'm really, really rich, right? And what did he do? His whole goal was not to become president. He wanted to become a dictator. And that's why all of his policies were shit. Instead of the things like we t- that I spoke to him about going back to 2015 when he, you know, first decided that he was going to run. I would say to him, if in fact that you win, and he'd be like, slim chance, but you know, the most important thing is that we ensure that this is the greatest infomercial in the history of politics. I said, okay, but if you do, let's fix the entire country, right? You're a builder. That's what we're going on. Infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. And what was the first thing this idiot did? The Muslim ban, right? And so 
that's why people don't trust government. And so much is going on because what you start to realize is whether it's Republican, Democrat, it doesn't make a difference. They all get up onto that bully pulpit. They start slamming their hands, this bad, this bad, this bad. But meanwhile, four years ago, you were on the exact opposite side saying this good, this good, this good. And what that does is it undermines all of our confidence because truth be told, they fucking lie. And that's a, that's the problem. And they'll lie straight to your face and they just don't give a shit. Now, when you talk about Trump blowing up everything, people don't know this. But when Dr. David Shulkin became the secretary of the VA, of the Veterans Administration, he, he was a friend of mine for close to like two decades. I'm the one that brought him in in order to um, meet with Trump. And that's how he ended up getting the position. He was the undersecretary of the VA under the Obama administration, despite the fact that he's a Republican. And this is where I take my hat off to Barack Obama. The guy didn't give a shit whether or not you're Republican, you're Democrat, you're independent. He needed people who were qualified, like David. But when Trump found out that he was the undersecretary to Obama, the first thing he said is, there's no way. I don't want a Democrat. I said, Mr. Trump, he's not a Democrat. He's always been his whole life a Republican. And he ultimately got the job. But what Trump wanted to do is to completely dismantle the VA. Now, you say, what? How's that possible? He's, so he's supposedly the VA president. He cares about our soldiers, our military, right. and so on. It's bullshit. What he wanted to do is shut down all the VA hospitals, sell off all of the equipment that's in there to third world nations, shut everything down, and force doctors, force doctors to take any VA patient within 24 hours. Otherwise, you lose your government right in order to see um, VA patients. I mean, is it a good idea? If there was a plan, maybe yes, but probably not. I mean, there are, these VA hospitals are, some of them are really great. Others, like anything else, need correction, right? And I, don't, I, I just, I truly don't understand, you know, the notion that everything has to be broken down before it could be built up. And the big, the biggest problem with Trump is the fact that, yeah, that's the problem, is he broke it down without a plan on how to build it back up. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a really interesting, it's really interesting to, to hear what it was like. Did you think, when did you start thinking, is Trump, Trump has no money now, right? Well, I wouldn't say that. Look, uh, m most people in this country would still trade places with him. Right. Right. He still has some great assets. Don't get me wrong. But when the IRS comes knocking at your door with their 120 plus percent interest and penalty, and you'll find that he owes 300 plus million dollars in taxes, um, you know, 600 plus million dollars is a lot of money to owe. Yeah. He's going to have to start selling assets and you can't sell non-performing assets. No one's interested in them and they don't bring the money that you need. Plus his basis in all of these assets are so low that he has a taxable consequence there. So yeah, I think his company is in serious financial trouble and I think he will yeah. be as well. But let me just keep jumping into this and say yesterday, Molly, you tweeted in response to Georgia's sweeping new elections bill that, and I quote, Georgia decided to make it harder to vote because Republicans think they can't win any other way. Describe to me what you believe are the worst parts of this bill and why the Georgia GOP believes it can get away with this Jim Crow 2.0 legislation. 
there Democrats have this HB1, HB4, which will sort of keep states from being able to do what Georgia just did. I don't know that it'll pass. I think they're going to have to figure out a way to pass it because it's hard for me to imagine 10 Republicans who are sort of with it enough, with it enough, who are, who, yeah, who are with it enough to go along with the Democrats, right? I can think of like four or five who theoretically might vote with the Democrats. What Trump has done is he's made a lot of these senators very Trumpy. And that's been very kind of weird. This bill has also gotten a lot of really bad publicity. Or not, I shouldn't say bad publicity. Republicans, and I always believe this, are really good at messaging. So they saw this bill coming and they were like, this bill is filled with lots of stuff that's really scary. Now, what's in this bill is nothing that's scary, right? It's same day voter registration. It's a lot of stuff that's already around, right? Um, You know, basically the idea is you shouldn't need ID to vote. You should be able to, you know, even I think in, I don't know if we have this in New York, but automatic voter registration when you turn 18 or you, there's some stuff in this bill where you can register, you can pre-register at 17, but you can't vote until you're 18, right? These are like kind of things that are just sort of easy things to do. uh, And they make sense. And it used to be before Trump that, that Republicans were pro-voting, right? Because remember, you want people to vote. In a democracy, you want as many people as possible to vote. That's how democracies work. But what the lesson that Georgia sort of got from 2020 and from this uh, Senate election was that when people vote, Democrats win. Now, is that true? It wouldn't be true if Republicans had a platform. Remember, the Republican Party platform in 2020 was Trump. It was basically Trump, right? It was five things on a card, but really what it was was Trump. And they didn't offer people anything. I actually believe in some ways, one of the reasons why Trump won in 2016 was he you know, would say to people, I'm going to build you a wall. Now, I don't know that people in, you know, South Dakota really cared. You know, the wall is pretty far from them. But, you know, he sort of promised them something, right? He promised that he was going to bring back factory jobs and he was going to make coal great again. Now, look, everybody knows coal is so expensive. It makes no sense. But he was promising them something. If you don't promise voters something, they're not going to come along with you. So with Hillary, she said, you know, uh, you know, come with me. You're with her. Right. Nobody cares. They, they don't vote for history. They vote for themselves as well. They should. So what happened in Georgia is that you had these two senators. Right. And remember, Raphael Warnock was the pastor at Martin Luther King's church. Right. So he is like, and he's a really gifted orator. So here's this guy who was, you know, who's this sort of amazing um, minister, also the 11th African-American senator, which is pretty exciting. So you had these two guys and they were going around and they were saying, you know, we're going to give you money. Like if you elect us, Democrats will win. They will control the Senate and we will give you checks. And that was a convincing message. People want money. It's a pandemic. They can't work, you know, in a lot of places. There is a huge, you know, business has been terrible for a lot of working people. There's been this sort of horrible decline. And so these people said, like, we'll give you money. And and they wanted money. And so Democrats won. Republicans took the message as it's too easy to vote in Georgia. That's the message they took instead of what they should have said, which was we're not offering people enough. 
like this message of hating other people and, you know, try and discrimination is not a compelling message for voters. And so they didn't do that. And so now they have this insane bill. Will Democrats be able to pass HB1? I, they, if they if Democrats were like Republicans, if Chuck Schumer were Mitch McConnell, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Right. It would already be passed. So I hope they will. Look, again, we have a very Trumpy Supreme Court, right? We have a Supreme Court that's very conservative. It's a 6-3. So what they do with this bill is anybody's guess. Yeah, with the Supreme Court, as you know, their job is for life. Right. So are they Trumpy? Well, they may have been appointed by Trump. And some of them may have some, let's just say, very conservative views. However... That doesn't mean that that's how they're going to vote. Push comes to shove. And we've already seen that when they've slapped down several of Trump's attempts in order to, for example, hold off his tax returns from the New York DA's office. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here. And we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Check out last Friday's episode about what it's like to grow up inside a cult. And Thursday's fascinating look at deepfake technology and the coming info apocalypse. I also found time to catch up on some old episodes and listen to the January 7th episode with Javier Pena and Steve Murphy, the former DEA agents who took down Pablo Escobar. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity, or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But Molly, I want to ask you, do you believe people like Governor Kemp were eager for the passage of this bill in order to change the subject from um, Trump's criticism of them for refusing to overturn the Georgia vote towards a measure that restricts voting rights for millions in the guys that they are cracking down on voter fraud? Yeah, I mean, I think Kemp is just freaked out, right? He's going to, is he going to have a Trumpy challenger? I don't know. Raffenberger is for sure. I, yeah, I mean, I think all of these Republicans are very freaked out, right? Because there's a whole swath of the Republican Party that is now hyper Trumpy that's going to go after their seats. And you see this in the Senate a lot where you have like, sort of these sane Republicans, I mean, sane is all relative, but who are now all retiring when they're young, you know, when they're relatively young for the Senate. So, yeah, I mean, I think everybody's you know, freaked out by this sort of thing. And it's interesting to see, especially because 
there are certain I mean, I don't know if you saw this thing with the Ohio Senate race where Trump is kind of has decided he's kind of a kingmaker. I think there are some states where Trump will be able to sort of kind of endorse and kingmake. I think there are a lot of states where Trump I mean, we've seen historically during those last four years that Trumpism doesn't scale. So it'll be interesting to see now if it does scale. I think there are a lot of places where it doesn't, but I think in the very, very red states and the very, very red districts, maybe. Yeah, it's funny, though, when you say hyper-Trumpy. See, here's the problem. And morons like fucking Josh Hawley, (laughs) they just don't get it. Or Ted, the schmuck and a half Cruz. (laughs) They just don't get it. You could try to be hyper-Trumpy just like him, but guys, you're not him. There's something in his fucking DNA that makes him capable, and I fell into it, right. into being a cult leader right. and getting people to follow him, whether it's the celebrity stardom, whether it's the glitz in the 757 that's now parked because he doesn't want to put money into the engines, right? That says Trump across it and Trump, 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 Trump with his MAGA messaging. Ted Cruz just doesn't have it. Now, yeah, he's, he's a senator. I don't take that away that he ran in his state, a uh, obviously a good enough race to stay, but you will never be Trump. They just don't seem to understand it. And here's the sick thing. They shouldn't want to be. Right. After watching Trump for the last four and a half, coming close now to five years, anybody that would want to be a racist, a sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic asshole and run as a as as a representative of your state, there's something seriously wrong with you. And I I personally don't don't understand what it is that they're trying to follow considering he lost the House, he lost the Senate, he lost the White House, maybe it's time to find a different leader. I mean, that's the comments that I would make. But then you see this putz Josh Hawley standing there, you know, cheering on a crowd as they're attacking the Capitol, and you think that that's okay, that's going to help you to get elected? That's going to one day hopefully bring you to the highest office in our country, right, to the most powerful seat in the world? Me thinketh not, idiots, <laughs> right? That's my shit. That's my, that's my yeah, Shakespeare, that's by the way. That's good. I appreciate that. But yesterday, um, Molly, the New York Times reported that Andrew Cuomo arranged special access um, for COVID-19 tests last spring yeah. when those very tests were nearly impossible. And I really mean impossible, impossible. to procure. Yeah. Now, he got them for his brother, Chris, and for a bunch of special friends. This is just the latest in a string of bad news for the governor. Yeah. I'm curious what your take is on this scandal and Cuomo in general, because I personally don't like the guy. Yeah. Right? Um, I just don't. I always found him to be a bully yeah. and frankly, an, frankly, an asshole. Yeah. Right? What's your take? And the funny thing, too, is there was a guy that I was with in Otisville who actually was his chief of staff for many, many years. And as I heard the stories being told about things that were going on, I actually liked him less and less. Did it remind you of Trump? Very much so. I mean, it's almost like two peas in a pod. I guess there must be something in that general area um, in Queens where they grew up. But yeah, it not only reminded me, it was so similar in terms of that passive, aggressive, nastiness, bullying. Yeah. God, that's so interesting. Is he still in Otisville? Unfortunately, he still is. You should get him for an interview because that would be fascinating. Right. The chance that Otisville administration is going to let him come on my podcast. (laughs) They legitimately, 
even when I was there, wanted to do nothing for me. They actually threatened to throw me in the shoe. What's the shoe? This, uh, the segregated housing unit. That's a place you don't want to go where you, you know, they handcuff, they shackle you. You even, uh, even handcuffed when they put you into the shower. It's really, it's an ugly place. Uh, and I was there, but they threatened to put me into the shoe because I made a statement after Robert Mueller's testimony that I right. thought he did a terrible job and that in terms of that testimony before yeah, the, the Congress, I thought it was terrible. And I thought that there was so much more that he could have said and could have done because the American people, myself included, I wanted to hear what was going on behind um, the scenes. And he did nothing other than refer it back to, you know, his report. And I thought it was very, it was weak. And that was a comment I made. They went crazy on me. So the chance I'll be able to get him onto the show is probably <laughs> zero. But what's your take? So I would say with Cuomo, the problem is, yeah, I, I'm, I, it, you know, what's interesting. All right. I'm going to tell you a story. My husband is a venture capitalist. He's very normal. He focuses on education, big Democrat, very committed to the Democratic Party, very, you know, I want to say he's very, um, very staunch. Okay. So he said to me, Mal, this Cuomo thing doesn't smell right. He said, why is this happening now? And I, and, and I've heard this from a lot of people, which is why I want to like tell the story. And I said to him, this is actually a, not a bad time. If this had happened during the election, right, we'd be worried. But we have a Democratic president. He said, well, maybe they want to pardon Trump, right? The person, if Cuomo resigns, the person who takes over for him is a woman. She's a Democrat. She's from Buffalo. She's really not going to pardon Trump. <laughs> Nobody is going to pardon Trump here. The stories about Cuomo besides the bullying and the, you know, the special treatment for his family, the sexual harassment stories are really horrifying and they're so inappropriate and so beyond the pale. I mean, Lindsay Bolin, who was the first of the Cuomo accusers, and there are now six or seven, said that he kissed her on the lips. And I said to my husband, I said, you have younger women who work in your firm. Would you ever do that? You would never do that. You wouldn't even give them a hug. Like you would never. I mean, it's so inappropriate. And he said to Lindsay Bowen, let's play strip poker. Right. Can you imagine saying that to a young woman in your employee? I mean, it is so inappropriate. And think about how uncomfortable it makes them. And there are just story after story after story of this. And look, I understand that he's from a slightly older generation, but this is not okay. And so fundamentally, I think there are so many reasons for Cuomo to resign. I, I personally, I would hope that he would do it. And I think that at this point, Cuomo really hurts the Democratic Party because for such a long time, or at least for the last couple of years, Democrats have really taken a hard line on this and said, like, no, we don't do the sexual harassment stuff. Like, that's not OK. So in my mind, I think that Cuomo should do the right thing for the Democratic Party at the very least, he should not run again. And, you know, he's done three terms. It's not like this guy hasn't had his shot at being governor. And the idea that he's the only person, I mean, there are people in the Democratic Party who, for example, Joe Manchin, if Joe Manchin weren't in the Senate, it would be a Republican, right? There's no question. He's very popular in West Virginia. He's the only person, he's the only Democrat who could win that seat. But when it comes to a blue state, 
and a blue, you know, sort of the one of the bluest states. Really, any Democrat who's competent and who's reasonable could probably win that seat. So the idea that we have this guy in there who's a complete liability for the Democratic Party, I think, serves no one. And so I do hope he'll resign. And I also think I hope he'll think about the idea that he's really hurting every day he serves. He's really hurting the Democratic Party. So that's my view. Yes, but you have to remember, since we said how similar in personality he is to Trump, you do understand he will never resign. He will never do what others uh, like Al Franken did, uh, just accept what he did. And in some respects, I give him some kudos for that. I do believe that there is a process. Anytime somebody turns around and says, hey, you did this, you did that. Now, I'm not questioning the truthfulness of the statements that have been lodged against him by these women. I'm just stating that there is a process. And if he wants to take that process to the end, well, so be it. That's his right. But what bothers me the most is the same thing that used to bother me about Elliot Spitzer or Anthony Weiner or all of these guys that get up on top of their bully pulpit on right in front of the microphone. We cannot allow people to treat women this way. I'm 100% to the Me Too movement. There's no, no, and they sit there and they pound their fist and they say the popularist view and so on. And in their mind, they're staring at the ass of their, of their intern thinking about how to ask her if she wants to play strip poker. And there's something very wrong with that whole mentality. But that's the old Washington mentality. Things are changing in Washington. A lot. You start to see now, thank God, more women, um, you know, holding seats. You're starting to see more people of, of various different ethnicities and, and races and color and, and so on. And we're finally getting that American melting pot in Washington, D.C. too. So you don't have that all boys network that's going on there, right? It's because what they did is they made it into a fraternity, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, when it's a bunch of guys just acting stupid, well, that's okay in the 1950s. Right. This is 2020, my friends, right? And so, you know, why don't you keep your mouth, you know, where it belongs, right? Why don't you kiss your wife on the lips, right? Or, keep, or kiss your spouse on the lips or your partner, but why don't you leave somebody else's alone? Right. I mean, that's the thing. So he has the right, as far as I'm concerned, to the process, but the process doesn't look good for him. That's the way that I see it. No, I agree. We spend a lot of time on this show talking about our broken political system. Much of it seems beyond our grasp and, dare I say, unfixable. Sometimes, though, you just don't want to think about it and wish the problem would just go away. The same goes for when something's off in the bedroom. Rather than fix the problem, we pretend it's not happening and hope it just goes away. Well, folks, it doesn't. You need to take control of your own life and fix what's broken. What are you waiting for? Go to Roman.com slash Cohen now. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. And the whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Cohen and complete the online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash Cohen now 
you'll get $15 off your first month. It's really time to take care of your ED. And remember, get started today and you'll save $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Now, Molly, what do you think? What do you think of Natasha Bertrand's piece in Politico that talks about how Trump let OANN into the White House and know that they're still there? Right. Should these abjectly fake news organizations be allowed to broadcast or should somebody like Jen Psaki make a statement and revoke their credentials and basically kick them the fuck out? I mean, yes, I think for sure they they should kick them out and kick them the fuck out. Um, Yeah. No, I I think I don't know why OAN is in the I don't understand why OAN is in the White House. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why they're there. I hope they do kick them out. I mean, I I also hope that Biden installs those three members of the USPS so that they can fire Postmaster DeJoy. So, yes, I definitely think that I would definitely absolutely love to see that happen. And I think they should. Look, they have Newsmax in there. They have Fox. I was looking at the list for yesterday's presser. It was Newsmax. It was Fox. It was a lot of conservative networks. They they had Sinclair. So it wasn't like there wasn't a real mix. And the other thing is OAN has really bad ratings. Like it, it's really like the difference between Newsmax and OAN is an enormous gap. So why the Biden administration would have them in there doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I'm thinking since OANN could be there. Hell, I'm a podcaster now. Yes. Right. I'm going to call my I'm going to call my RRM over there in the Bronx and I'm going to ask for a pass so I can go to D.C. to sit in the we'll call it the journal, the journalistic pool. Right. And say, listen, I have Bayer culpa. As far as I'm concerned, I have a bigger ratings audience than OANN. And I want to I want to sit inside the pool in the room that I used to hang out in anyway. And I want to ask the president and um, or Jen Psaki or uh, when uh, Vice President Harris comes out. I want to ask some questions, right, for my podcast. It's so stupid. I actually really enjoyed Natasha's article. I thought it was, ins- I thought it was very insightful. Good job, Natasha. Did you? Wasn't Sean Spicer in the press pool during the Trump administration? Yes. Yeah. So there you go. Right there, there you have it. Right now, the Daily Beast published a story from Noah Shackman about how Georgia prosecutors are looking at criminally charging, you know, Rudy the moron Giuliani and other members of Team Trump, right, for lying to state officials during the stop the steal nonsense. Yeah. It's um it's a charge that carries a punishment of one to five years in prison. Now that Sidney Kraken Powell has admitted that she made up the entire cracking conspiracy. Right. Doesn't that expose all of them to liability, to criminal liability? You would think. I mean, they'll try to fight with all these lawsuits. It's like they'll try to fight it as long as they can. For example, you'll remember Tucker Carlson made the lives of the family of Seth Rich to be absolute uh, nightmare. Remember that? I sure do. It's certainly possible. But yeah, I'm curious to know what can you explain what is what happened with Rudy? Well, he just lost his mind. First of all, I this and look, you know, a lot of people get angry at me. They say you don't have the proof. Actually, you're right. I don't have a blood test or a urinalysis from him showing the high levels of alcohol in his in his body. But when I was in Washington over at the Trump Hotel, which yeah. by the way, they should lose immediately. 
when I was there in Washington, I would watch Rudy knock down a couple of bottles of Chardonnay before one o'clock in the afternoon. And then, you know, still sitting in the same banquet off close to the BLT restaurant. I can tell you exactly which was his favorite table. He would then start on the heavy stuff, you know, after, you know, after the work hours come like six o'clock and so on. And he'd be there knocking down scotch all night long. So I do believe that Rudy has a drinking problem. On top of that, I think he is suffering from dementia. On top of that, and the worst part is simply the fact that just like the Josh Hawley's, just like the Ted Cruz, the Marco Rubio's and the rest of the sycophantic dopes that will ultimately lose their seat. They are all playing to a party of one. And so when you're inebriated, right, your faculties are somewhat skewed. And so you say stupid shit, which is exactly how they ended up (laughs) at the Four Seasons landscaping next to a morgue and a crematorium. And right, and, and the they are. Um, yes. Right. So this is because his faculties are impaired yeah. because he's, sh- he's just shit faced drunk. And you have to take into consideration that, you know, with all the spray tan crap that he's putting on and the hair dye as it's dripping down his face, how do you not right. feel the stuff dripping down your face? It's the fact that he's, my opinion is he's just inebriated and he's yeah. also, he's beginning to lose it. And again, They don't care because it doesn't matter what you think of Rudy. It doesn't matter what all of New York or all of the country that looked up to Rudy Giuliani is really America's mayor at one time. All he cares about is to get his ass pat right right, by Donald Trump. And so the stupider and the more absurd things that he says, the more that Donald will call him up afterwards and say, really? My God. That was the greatest, right? You just keep, you keep fighting for me. You're my guy. You're my guy. And then you sit there and you say, stupid. He's going to do to you. Like I told, like I told guys like Mark Meadows, guys like Jim Jordan, another asshole, right? The same thing. I know what you're doing and I know the game that you're playing because I wrote the fucking playbook. So don't try to run my playbook on me. I know it because I created it. And that's what they're doing. They're all playing to a party of one. And the one that you're playing to is a sick, narcissistic sociopath. And they're all suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. That's something I talk about a lot in my book, Disloyal. Yeah. Trump derangement syndrome is real. And people, if they don't want to believe it, well, you better go see a therapist because- I would say that at least 74 million Americans are truly suffering from Trump derangement syndrome. And the rest are just suffering. The rest of us are just suffering from Trump fatigue. Yeah. No, we're all suffering from Trump fatigue. I can't wait till he ends up in prison because then we can all just put that chapter of Trump and his sycophantic scion, right? We could put them all into a box, yeah. bury it in a time capsule and just let history, you know, tell the story of Trump. Yeah, no, I agree. I totally agree. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Tell me then, can you discuss with me what you know about one of the main vectors for misinformation uh, now is this right, far right um, pizza gator who works for OANN and claims to have. Yes. Yeah, Posobiec. Yes. Right. Uh, Who claims to have this White House source who's telling him exactly what right-wing media wants to know at all times. Do me a favor, unpack this for my listeners if you can. Jack Posobiec is 
probably one of the earliest misinformation spreaders. He and Mike Cernovich, and they sort of are in a group and they're very connected with, I know this is going to come as an enormous shock to you, Don Jr. Oh, what a shocker. Um, And they sort of have a kind of misinformation, I would say disinformation because they know it's not true, disinformation network. And in it is a lot of other minor characters from Trump world. And what's interesting about Posobiec is that he was one of the early spreaders of Pizzagate. And then after Pizzagate, he was involved in Macron leaks. Remember Macron leaks, which was another Russian psyop operation that was these leaks about Macron, right? Because they wanted Le Pen to win in France. And so he's sort of always been on the wrong side of disinformation. And there's clearly some kind of Russia connection there. And he uh, works for OAN. And remember, you went back to Natasha's piece about OAN. OAN has this sort of Russian propaganda spin that is kind of what they've been known for. And they're very connected to spreading Kremlin misinformation. And you'll remember that the people who ran with the Hunter Biden laptop story were Posobiec, Cernovich. It all went to Don Jr. as the disseminator and then to the New York Post. But they were the people who it originated with. And uh, and and again, so you see, it's a sort of Kind, you know, and they did the Hillary is sick thing and they did the Clinton Foundation and they did the Haiti Clinton Foundation and Haiti thing. You know, they sort of were able to. And again, with these ideas, it's not so much that you spread a lie as much as that you muddy the waters. Right. So it's not the idea isn't Hunter Biden has a laptop and on it is, you know, whatever. It's more like. Hunter Biden is corrupt. So Joe Biden is corrupt. So what Trump does isn't so bad because everyone is corrupt. That's the sort of that's the thinking behind all of this Russian disinformation. The idea that you could make it so that muddied enough so that you wouldn't mind Trump's corruption. And that that was sort of the goal behind all of this. So, uh, yes, Jack Posobiec is sort of one of the the worst actors, but he's still on Twitter for whatever reason. And OAN still has a White House pass for whatever reason. And, and you know, they could shut it down tomorrow if they wanted. And why don't they? Because to me, it doesn't make sense. We are all so sick and tired of these constant misinformation um, campaigns, myself especially. Right. My yeah. entire incarceration emanated from what? From the Steele dossier, a complete pile of bullshit. Right, which was Russian disinformation. Look, here's the problem. With Trump, taking Trump off Twitter, it was very clear. Trump would tweet, you know, he would tweet something that was an incitement to violence. Even if it wasn't completely and utterly obvious, it was an incitement to violence. And people would go and do violence. So you could really thread the needle. You could say... You know, you could see the tweet where he said, come to stop the steal. And then you would see they did stop the steal and ended up storming the Capitol and six people died. So you could see you you see what I'm saying? There was a very easy through line with Jack Posobiec. It's more complicated, right? Because it's not like Jack tweets, everyone go do this. You know, he doesn't have the same kind of power as Trump. 
you know, you are in this very sort of, you know, sketchy area when it comes to deplatforming people. Look, certainly Trump, we deplat, you know, Twitter deplatformed him and it's been really net win for American society, right? Less violence, less disinformation. I don't know if you read this. There was an article that said that Trump was the number one spreader of COVID disinformation, right? COVID. I did. I read it. Yeah. So that, so deplatforming Trump turned out to be a net gain for like masking and keeping the virus at bay. And so those kind of things with Pitsobiak, it's more, it's, it's a sort of more nuanced case. And the problem is technology doesn't do nuance well. No, it doesn't. But you have to remember something also that Donald wasn't the only one that created the violence that day on January 6th at the Capitol. That was, that was done with many people's involvement. Let's just touch on two people who we've named in the last two minutes. Don Jr. Yeah. Don Jr. gets up and he starts pounding the mic because like his father, like Ivanka, like Eric, like Lara Trump, like Tiffany, like Jared. Well, maybe not Jared because Jared's more of a, you know, of a, an introvert. Yeah. They love the adulation of the crowd without yeah. ex- it, without acknowledging the fact that the crowd doesn't give a shit about Donald Trump Jr. or Lara Trump or Eric Trump or Rudy Giuliani. It's simply because you're standing up there on behalf of Donald and you're saying the dumbest shit that you can because that's what this popularist, this group wants to hear. It's a popular statement for that group. Now, a lot of people ask me, then why the hell are they doing it? Why is Don doing it? Why is Ivanka doing it? Why is Laura doing it? Why is, you know, Tiffany doing it and so on? And I'm going to give you the answer, right? At least it for Don, Ivanka and Eric. You know, a lot of people don't really know this, but they didn't obviously grow up with their father. Right. Actually, they didn't grow up with their mother either. They all went off to boarding school. So there's this lack of parental love, and especially from Donald. Donald doesn't love anyone or anything other than himself. And when people say, oh, no, 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 he loves Ivanka, um, <laughs> only because people were loving Ivanka because she was holding herself out to be this poised, this elegant, you know, trying to be like the next 21st century Grace Kelly, which she's not, right? And so because people were praising Ivanka, so did he. But all of these kids are starved. They are, it's like, it's like being parched, walking through a desert and, and seeing water. They're starved for their father's attention. All of them, including Tiffany. And when the dumber and the craziest shit that they say playing to a party of one, when they ultimately, you know, get that phone call from dad who turns around and says, that was great. You guys were great. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. They're finally getting an affirmation from their father. And I've seen it while I was with him. You know, how many times it's all again in my book, how many times I've seen it where he just rips them to pieces. Right. No father should do that to their child, right. right? The goal of a parent is to is to lift your child, yeah. not to shred them all the time. Don Jr., he used to walk around the office saying, Don Jr. has the worst fucking beliefs that as anybody I've ever met. He would just attack him on everything. And it was it's very sad, you know, to see a father doing that to a son. And while he didn't 
do it often to Ivanka, he would turn around behind her back and say shit like, you know, um, eh, you know, let, let her do. She's good with decorating, you know, because that's that sexist misogynist yeah. in him. And Eric he used to turn around and brag, oh, Eric has my spatial understanding. And I remember sitting with a couple of the other guys, lawyers in the office when we were there and we looked at each other when we went back to our office, his spatial understanding. You mean, you know, large and gaudy? Right. Hanging the same shitty chandeliers that he claims are, you know, are, you know, hundred plus thousand dollar chandeliers when he got them down on Canal Street. Stop. Right. Spatial understanding. Eric doesn't understand shit. He's actually the dumbest of them all. But, you know, what can you do? And it's really because then you get people like the New York Post. Right. I mean, talk about talk about an absolute shame. Right. When you have Rupert Murdoch with his New York Post and guys like this. Ali, whatever the hell his name is, or Emily Smith. The whole newspaper is nothing right. more than the latest version of the National Enquirer. I mean, it, it's not even worth using for, fi- you know, to start your fire in your fireplace. It's pure bullshit. They don't care about truth. And it's Fox. They just don't care about yeah. truth. And when you call them out on it, they turn around. And then, of course, they send it to their lawyers like I did. They keep right. turning around saying, I went back to prison simply because they're their journalist or their photographer took a picture of me around the block, 800 feet from the front door of my building that I was having dinner with another couple. Right. And that that was against my rules. No, it wasn't. I was on furlough. Even the, even the BOP acknowledged it had nothing to do. I went back because it was retaliation. Just rejudge Alvin K. Hellerstein's decision. And you'll understand that the whole thing was predicated on retaliation, starting with Donald Trump, going down to Bill Barr, all the way down to this petty asshole, you know, the Pakula and McFarland and the rest of them, uh, you know, over at the BOP and the DOC and the Metropolitan Detention Center. This was all retaliation and shame on shame on all of them, because what Donald Trump did is he just destroyed our way of life. He destroyed yeah. the way people look at our system and the way that yeah. people have respected our system. Other countries respect our judicial system. Not anymore, because yeah. Donald Trump showed everybody how to weaponize the Justice Department. Yeah. When you get an asshole like this Bill Barr, who's willing to turn around and to shred his 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 obligations all in service of the king, you yeah. can't have a judicial, you can't have a normal ju- justice system. You just can't because you're not working for the people. Yeah. You're not working to do what's right. You're working to appease this man of one. And rest assured, I know this better than anybody. No one could satisfy him. He's right. never happy with anything because he's just not happy with himself. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. With a COVID vaccine bringing safety to millions, it seems like there is light at the end of the tunnel, as well as a return to normal life. With all this in mind, why not take this moment to get your life in order by protecting your family with life insurance? Policy Genius can help you compare top insurers in one place and save 50% or more. Once you find your best option, the Policy Genius team will set up your new policy for you and answer any questions you may have along the way. Here's how you get started. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes to find your best price. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare policies from as little as $15 a month. 
you might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical examination. Since their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance company, there's zero hassle. If you hit any speed bumps during the application process, Policy Genius will take care of everything. It's that kind of service that has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. The best part? All the benefits of Policy Genius, the comparison tool, the handling of paperwork, the unbiased advice are totally free to use. So while you're tidying up around the house this spring, why not get your life insurance organized too? You can save 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. So go to PolicyGenius.com to get started. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Yeah, so Molly, with the mass shootings now in Atlanta and then again in Boulder, Colorado, we're seeing the usual parade of tears and hopes and prayers from GOP lawmakers who refuse to do anything to mitigate the problem. Like, for example, banning these assault weapons, these AR-15, 16s, um, despite a majority of Americans who believe that it's the right thing to do. Right. When do you think we will see meaningful gun control legislation in this country that truly addresses the problem? Jesus, I have no idea. I mean, the pro that I mean, I hope someday it's certainly possible. Look, the problem is this. There are certain things like. I think an assault weapon ban would make a lot of sense. Guns have become such a fire storm, you know, such a sort of touchstone of cultural, a sort of cultural war touchstone that they're impossible to separate. But, you know, it's no longer about the guns. It's just like with the masks. It's no longer about the masks. It's about, you know, a kind of crazy sort of weird, um, you know, kind of war, culture war. So, look, I, I would love sensible gun legislation. I, I don't know how it happens. And again, because there are these Trumpy senators who have decided the only way to be president next is to embrace the sort of worst bits of Trumpism. It's possible that it never happens, but it would be great if it did. It certainly seems to me like assault weapons are a no brainer. You know, do you need an AR-15 to go hunting? No. Uh, but we'll see what happens. I mean, it's it's scary. And it's also just clearly guns are too easy to get in our country. Right. They're clearly too easy to get. If crazy, if a crazy guy can get a gun really, you know, as no problem and he's a young guy and then then we have a gun problem. So I don't know what happens, but it's it's certainly very problematic. Well, you have so many of these politicians that are afraid of the size of, for example, the NRA and these gun um, groups right. that if in fact that they don't support the NRA, if they don't take these sort of ridiculous positions, that they will end up losing their seat. See, this is also a problem. Our politicians are not looking to represent us as their constituents. It's all about their reelection. I mean, the day after a politician gets elected, what's what is he doing, or what is she doing? Yeah, no, they're out campaigning. Yeah, no, they're back out campaigning. I mean, that's certainly true, and I think that 
one of the reasons why Trump was allowed to sort of rise to power in that way was because a lot of the electeds are scared and they really just care about keeping their seats more than doing the right thing. Yeah. And by the way, getting guns in certain areas in this country is not easy. Right. You know, I was one of a thousand people here in New York that was licensed to carry a concealed firearm in the city of New York. It's, it's, ver- it's very rare, um, you know, to get. And I got it simply because um, I was getting a tremendous amount of death threats right. when I was working for Trump, uh, going back to the 2011 uh, potential run for, you know, for the presidency, you know, and then especially again in 2015 after he made the statements about Mexicans and so on. Now, why, of course, I became the target of their hatred. I'm not so sure. Right. Other than I did go on television a lot and I was constantly named in the press a lot. Uh, and so I became the easy scapegoat for everything because they couldn't get to him. But I can tell you the New York City application for getting this i had to get um like fbi clearances uh letters from you know from them as to need now you know i would walk to work so you know i would explain to them that you know there's only so many routes that i can go in order to get to the office if somebody's trailing me i ultimately got it and it's something that bothered me very much after my conviction of course as a felon you can't own a firearm and i find it interesting right that shouldn't it be predicated on the crime right not on the fact of whether you know you were charged with something because the charges against me for the tax evasion and the HELOC Anybody who reads the Petrillo sentencing memo, and I wish that the judge would have done it because he clearly didn't, would realize that the whole thing is bullshit. Nobody tax evades by putting all their money in Capital One Bank that's located at the base of the building that you live in and gives all the documents to their accountant. Because my my former accountant, who I'm suing right now, he's a fucking gnome, just an absolute asshole and just a shit accountant. And I never realized it simply because I have never been audited in my entire life. I've never gotten a letter from the IRS until this. And even in my 2017, when all this um, started happening, I still never got a letter from the IRS. I mean, the whole story, that's going to be the basis of my next book, you know, which right. is going to be all about the Department of Injustice. I just got to figure out, you know, who's going to be my publisher and the whole bit. But it's truly an eye opener in terms of what the heck is, you know, going on in our system, which is completely, th- look, prosecutors, the best person who wrote an the article that I've, I mean, the article is the best I've ever written, I've ever read, was one by um, Judge Jed Rakoff here in right. uh, New York, um, Southern District. And in it, he talks, the article is entitled, um, Why Innocent People Plead Guilty. People don't understand that when this process comes down on your head, they threaten your family, they, they threaten to basically put you on the street. They threatened to go after your spouse like they did mine. I had from Friday to Monday to plead guilty or they were going to file an 80-page indictment against me that was going to include my wife. Now, look, I'm married 25 years and I love this woman, you know, dearly. I'm not going to let these animals come after her. And that's exactly what they did. Now, the beautiful thing is that the truth will always rise. It may hurt me every single day. It shreds my soul. What, what happened to me and I try every day to wake up 
with a positive attitude, but it's really difficult when you start to look to see what happened to you, including, believe it or not, the loss of my right to carry a firearm or felons' loss of their right to vote. I mean, what kind of bullshit is this on, even if it's a tax charge? By the way, I paid the tax that was owed before even the sentencing proceeding. I paid it. Why? I never took a dollar from anyone. I don't owe a dollar to any person or any institution ever. When Donald Trump paid $1,500 for the two years in taxes, I paid $3 million. And I'm the one that went away for tax evasion? If there's an error, there's an error. And trust me, there was an error. That's the truth. This fucking asshole accountant of mine, this Jeffrey Getzel, who I'm suing right now, 100%. This is this was an error. Okay. Treat me like everybody else. I wasn't treated like everybody else. And that's what the whole purpose of the second book is going to be about. Because this doesn't just happen to people like me. This can happen to anybody, anyone listening to this show. This could happen to you if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I was in the wrong place, starting back to what we were talking about, the Steele dossier, the 11 allegations that were just an absolute lie about me. I have never been to Prague. I never paid Russian compromise. I would never, you know, pay somebody to hack into the DNC's computer and all that shit. I mean, it's just not true. So, you know, look, uh, it's... It's it's my life. It's where I stand right now. But I could understand people's fears of government taking away their guns. But the notion that you shouldn't have background checks, man, they really went through my life with a fine tooth comb to give me the right. Um, and I believe it should be for everybody. I mean, I don't understand why. First of all, I don't understand why anybody needs an AR-15 for the same reason that you shouldn't be allowed to buy a rocket launcher. It, to me, it's the same thing. Yeah. I truly just don't understand why anybody needs a gun where the bullet can go a mile and a half yeah. at, at crazy velocity. I just, I truly don't get it. But, you know, Molly, as we're winding down the hour, I want to ask you just a couple more. So, you know, Eric Reitens, who's running for Missouri governor, is part of a whole slew of MAGA candidates whose only qualification includes 100% loyalty and fealty to Donald Trump. Now, the GOP risks nominating a cast of these flawed and beatable candidates with this as um, their litmus test. But Greitens, though, is especially noxious. Yeah. Describe what you know about him and how this reveals what will likely be the GOP's 2022 election strategy. So, you know, I don't we don't really know what's going to happen. I think that they'll run generally in the midterm. they run against the candidate and the party in power. So I think largely it'll be a lot of them running against, uh, against, against Trump. Um, I mean, against Biden. I think that it's possible. I mean, Grayton is a real fucking asshole. If you don't mind my French, he uh, cheated on his pregnant. Wife. Oh my God, I'm 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 offended. I'm offended, Molly, by your language. Exactly. <laughs> um, he cheated on his pregnant wife with this woman who was his hairdresser. He tied her up. He took photographs. He said he was going to blackmail her. I mean, the story is just an awful, awful, awful story. And wait, are you talking about? Are you talking about Jason Miller? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand Jason, how Jason Miller continues on. Well, we'll talk about that after, but I apologize. Yeah. I interrupted. But um, Greitens has a really 
I mean, they're just so basically the the way that the case was done, it was really messed up. And a lot of the stuff wasn't, you know, they ended up not being able to prosecute it. But there really was a lot of pretty terrible stuff. And he was quite it sounded like from what I've read and what I've seen that he was uh, he really traumatized and damaged this woman. And uh, so now he's running, you know, he had to resign from being uh, governor and now he's running for the Senate. And I think he'll go very Trumpy. Uh, again, Missouri is pretty red. So we'll see what happens. Uh, there are a lot of these. This is going to be a really interesting midterm because you have a lot of these seats, for example, Pennsylvania, right, which is pretty blue you know it's sort of mixed purple purple yeah, it's purple. kind of purple so uh ohio which is really quite red despite the fact that you have Sherrod brown from there um you have places like missouri i mean i just it's going to be an interesting map republicans can't afford to lose any of those seats we'll see what happens but um so that's what we're going to see it, it's going to be a wild stuff i think actually so I see 2022 as being a referendum on the first you know, year of Joe Biden's administration. And obviously, they're already beginning to lay the groundwork based upon this immigration. Now, of course, people don't understand or they don't want to understand if you're a Trumpy that Donald Trump created this nightmare right now. Now, he didn't create the immigration problem. You know, we've had that for a long time. But these cages and the lack of ability within which to process. That's the one thing that I'm actually proud of Biden for doing. He's now tasked, which is something Trump would do. He tasked Kamala Harris with figuring out how to start to process these people, these especially these children, so that they're not sitting in these holding cells for longer than what the immigration laws you know, permit and good for him. Now, are we going to fix immigration in 24 hours, 48, 72 hours? The answer is no. But you could rest assured that Kamala will 100 percent put together a team and they will come up with a policy. But here's the bad part about it. Even when they do come up, it could be the best policy. I mean, God himself couldn't come down from the heavens and hand off a better policy. And the same fucking Republicans will turn around and say, no, no. So Biden will then have to do it by executive action. And then they're going to start to make these allegations in 2022 about how he's just running amok with the executive power, you know, that's given to him, ignoring the fact that Donald Trump, other than the first step act, right, was the only bipartisan bill that you know, that he didn't do through executive action. Donald Trump did the same thing because the, there's no working relationship anymore between the two sides. It's now, it's now winner take all and kill the other side. It's like kill the man with the ball. I mean, that's just, it's, they just don't care. All they want is to win for their side. And then once they do, they go back to being the exact same as the party that they just replaced. But fortunately, and I say this all the time, we finally have adults in the White House, people who care more about us, the constituents, more about the country than they do about themselves or their brand, right? Because that's really what the entire last 
four years was about. It was all about building up the Trump brand so that he could do some more licensing deals throughout the country, whether it's Russia, whether Saudi Arabia, and and so on. That's really what it was all about. And it's sad because this is our country. It's true. Thank you so much for having me. Molly, thank you so much for being on. I truly appreciate it. And I know that you wanted to ask me a series of questions (laughs) regarding the district attorney. But next time, and I promise you that I will come join you on your show. And you could could groom me. But I can tell you, I can tell you in confidence, you along with the other 5 million listeners right now, that uh, I am going back again to speak with the district attorney. Um, you know, and to review more documents and um, let the chips fall where they may is how I constantly say it. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much. You were great. Thank you for having me. Molly, thank you. You be well. Enjoy the rest of the day. You too. Bye. Bye. And now for today's mea culpa. I keep thinking about the reverberating effects of Trump's big lie and how it continues to spread despite our best efforts to stop it. I am also reminded of the fact that if a story is too good to be true, it often is just that, nothing more than a steaming of pile of lies. But Trump is a master spinner of lies. His ability to create and mold his reality to suit his mood was and continues to be legendary. Quite simply, nobody lies like Donald Trump. But to be able to do so requires an inhuman sociopathy that allows you to deny basic reality for whatever you've conjured in your head and in your heart. For a while, I was able to bask in Trump's fabulations, taking pride in his ability to spin shit into gold. But I never really saw or felt the consequences of those lies. When I helped fuel the birth of conspiracy that ultimately propelled Trump to the top of the GOP pyramid, it seemed like a big game. But we learned long ago that it's not a game. People's lives are at stake, their reputations and livelihoods altered or ruined with the snap of a finger. Often the media is a willing and complicit partner in its dissemination. Lord knows I pushed untold whoppers to reporters, big and small. But you live by the sword, and so you die by the sword. My own Waterloo came at the tail end of the Steele dossier. Someone else's big lie, ironically concocted to take apart Donald Trump, but succeeded in only destroying Michael Cohen. Its reverberations landed me in prison and ultimately on the other side of my former boss. So not a total loss, I guess, but I find myself still fighting its many basic fallacies. No, I have never been to Prague, just as Trump never let a Russian prostitute urinate on his hotel room bed. But it sounded good, too good to be true, and the media ran with it despite their inability to verify the veracity of the tale. What's the moral of the story here? I'm not sure there is one beyond the old saying, be careful what you wish for, you just might get it. I know I did, and thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch, and it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick, and executive producer Jared Gustav, and it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mayor, Oh, baby, don't lie for me if I don't.
Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free.